And ladies and gentlemen, good morning. I'm Scott Colborn with Exploring Unexplained Phenomena. It's great to be with you, whether you're at the workplace or just kicking around home. We've got uh, rain overnight and rain today in southeast Nebraska, turning sometime later today to snow. And uh, predictions are all over the place for snow accumulation totals from zero up to six inches or more. (laughs) The folks in northern Nebraska, especially northeast Nebraska, are going to get blasted. 12 to 18 inches of snow up there. So, wow. Um, If you folks are traveling today, especially going north, be sure and check the weather and the uh, highway patrol forecast before you, you set out here. So, um, I hope you're doing great. Um, We've got a great show for you today, by the way. We've got Charlene with the Capital Humane Society and Pet Talk coming up here in just about 60 seconds. And we've got our friend Preston Dennett with the seen and the unseen. Always some cool UFO-related stories. And we've got a first-time guest as our main guest, uh, Nomar Slevik. He's got two books out. The most recent is Otherworldly Encounters. Evidence of UFO sightings and abductions. Let's go to Charlene with the Capital Humane Society, and she should be right there. Hi, Charlene. Good morning. How are you? I'm doing good. Everybody's just kind of got their eyes on the weather forecast, wondering when the stuff is going to turn from liquid to, to white stuff, huh? Exactly. Yeah, I'm wondering myself. I hope that it uh, maybe stays just rain. It's a little easier to handle. <laughs> yeah, this it's been wonderful. We've been dry, and so this is really, really wonderful. And the ground is uh, warm enough right now, too, that we're not getting a lot of runoff. Uh-huh. And so it's able to soak in, and, and I appreciate that. Um, let's talk about some cold weather or bad weather tips for pets. That's an excellent subject. So um, when it's cold outside, please remember our pets are very much like us. They want to be warm and safe. So bring your pets in where they're warm and comfortable. Um, it's, it's really hard on them when it's so cold outside. Um, also, some other important winter tips are um, when you're walking them on those salty sidewalks and things, you can wipe their paws off afterwards. That'll stop them from cracking and getting dry. Um, make sure that they get, get plenty of exercise, though, some Sometimes you may not want to walk them when it's rainy and snowy, but they still need exercise and training and playtime. Uh, so you'll want to fit that in your schedule, even though the, the weather is not cooperating. Uh, speaking of weather, um, <clears throat> the uh, f- holiday run, is that scheduled for t- uh, tomorrow? Tomorrow, yeah, we're very excited about that. So if you are interested, you can go to our website at capitalhumanesociety.org and sign up for our holiday run again tomorrow at Pioneers Park. Um, we do actually have a new website. I don't know if you've noticed that, but it's a it's a new one, um, but it has all the same information, just in a slightly different format. So you can go there and you can find all the information you need about the holiday run. Um, so the the pet run there is that like some big dog chases people? <laughs> uh, it's it's not. It's when it's when you have your dog and it's on a leash and you go you go to Pioneers Park and it's a really fun gotcha. a festive event. Yes. This is Charlene with the Capital Humane Society, and here are cats for adoption. So we're going to start off with Brielle. 
And, oh, I'm working our new website here. I was on dogs. Let me get to Brielle. We can do dogs if you want to. Oh, no, I'm there now. <laughs> She's a beauty. She, uh, and it's B-R-I-E-L-L-E. So hopefully I'm pronouncing that right. Mm-hmm. She's a year-old, spayed female, domestic short hair, just lovely, looking for a wonderful home. She's in a colony with some other cats, and they are always just snuggled <coughs> up together. So if you're looking for one, two, or three, <laughs> these would be your girls. Um, really nice, friendly cats. Uh, Colleen, if you can see that picture over there of, of Brielle. Mm-hmm. Look at she's wearing kind of like a scarf or an ascot. Yeah. <laughs> what interesting markings. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, Brielle is followed by Colton. And Colton is a very handsome two-year-old neutered male cat, domestic short hair. Um, he's also very charming. He's in a colony with other cats, and they all get along really well, playing with their toys and chasing each other around. Uh, so another really friendly cat ready to find an awesome home. I like that name, Colton. Uh-huh. And Colton looks a lot like my former cat, Sonanda. Boy, same coloring, that kind of light, smoky gray. Okay. An inquisitive face there. Uh-huh. Take a look at that great cat, Colton. <laughs> and he's joined by... Jamie. And Jamie's really cool looking with her blue eyes. She's about five years old. A wow. state female Siamese. Just a really cool looking cat. Very, very pretty. Ready to meet a great family that wants to give her a wonderful life. Interesting colorings and markings. Look at Jamie. J-A-M-I. Uh, Brielle, Colton, and Jamie, three great cats for adoption. And uh, ours today and tomorrow. Understand tomorrow you're going to close a little early. Yes, thank you for noting that. So we are open today, 11 to 5.30, and tomorrow we are closing a little early, so it'll be from 11 to 3. Okay, dogs for adoption. Uh, We're going to start with Maxie. And Maxie is a really pretty Australian shepherd mix. Hey, Maxie. (laughs) (laughs) She's about four years old, a spade female, uh, loves to run and play, might even make an excellent running partner. Uh, She's very exuberant, so she's looking for someone who has experience and can provide her with the necessary training uh, so she can be the best dog possible. Okay, very intelligent, happy dog. She's got those ears up, and boy, she's looking at the camera saying, what's next? What do we do, uh-huh. huh? Um, okay, Maxie, and then there's... Brett, and Brett is just nine months old, a lab mix puppy, a neutered male, very, very cute. He's white with a darker uh, kind of buff or brown ears and a little bit on his back. Uh, Just a sweetheart of a dog looking for somebody who has plenty of time to provide training because, again, he's just a puppy, so he needs guidance. Um, But he is a smart dog and a loyal dog and will be a good friend to someone. Okay, we've got uh, two great dogs, Maxine, or excuse me, Maxie and Brett. And then there's... Next up is Gabby, and she's eight months old, a blue healer mix, and she's a little bit shy, so she might not, you know, come right up to you at first, but once she does trust you, she is very sweet. Uh, She's looking for someone who's patient, who will work with her. Um, Because she is so reserved, we are looking for a home without kids, uh, but she knows the right family is out there, and maybe it's one of your listeners today. Okay, the Gabster... (laughs) Brett and Maxie, three great dogs for adoptions. And uh, Charlene, hours open again today and tomorrow. We are open today, 11 to 5.30, and tomorrow, 11 to 3. 
Thank you for all your great work. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Thanks. Charlene and friends at the Capital Humane Society make them the first place you go when you want to adopt a dog or a cat. I'm Scott Colborn, and uh, taking a look at some of the guests coming up here, uh, we're working on March of 2019 now. Uh, we just turned over the calendar. Did you all notice that this morning when you went out and looked at the wherever you got it hung, maybe on top of the refrigerator or something? It's December 1st. We thought we had so much time left in 2018 and now we turn the calendar over and we realize whoa this is whoa you know we're cruising along in september october we're thinking man we got we had lots of time and suddenly here's december so we've got some great folks coming up for you here our main guest today is um nomar slevik the author of a brand new book otherworldly encounters evidence of ufo sightings and abductions December 8th, next week, is Dan Baldwin, Rhonda Hull, and Dwight Hull speaking with the spirits of the Old Southwest, conversations with miners, outlaws, and pioneers who still roam ghost towns. The 15th is Dr. Linda Backman, Souls on Earth, Interplanetary, excuse me, Exploring Interplanetary Past Lives. That sounds interesting. The 22nd, right before Christmas, making his annual visit, Reverend Dr. Jimmy Shelbourne, the Associate Pastor at Westminster Presbyterian Church. Uh, Prescient dreams in the Bible and hope, faith, and a prayer or two. And rounding out December is our old friend Carol Fleet. And she's going to help us get ready for 2019. A new year, a new you. What works and what doesn't for planning um, new beginnings, and uh, always always fun to talk with her. Uh, Going to go one farther here. The first Saturday of, of 2019 has been occupied for so many years by Patty Conklin, and Patty is going above and beyond the call of duty because she's actually going to be on a ship. So we're going to figure out a way to try to get her on the program talking to us from a ship. She should be someplace down in the Bahahahamas, so that'll be a fun show. Hey, with me in the studio is Mr. Jim Shorney. And uh, Jim, you've been playing some mechanic stuff this morning? Oh, yeah. I had the dreaded dead battery in, in the old fliver because I forgot to turn my lights off yesterday. Oh, so what's the prognosis? Up and running. Good. It only takes about 10 or 15 minutes to put enough charge on the battery to start it. So here I am. And then you can just make sure that you don't turn the... Your lights are off right now, right? Yes, they are. Okay. I'm normally very paranoid about that because my vehicle does not... Well, it turns the headlights off, but it leaves the marker lights on. Yeah. How about that? Isn't that weird? How's the coffee? It smells good. Okay. Coling, you got coffee yet? No, not yet. <laughs> oh, Coling needs coffee. And Coling, what do you what do you have in that wicker basket over there? Just markers. It's uh, a ton many, of markers. I was going to say, how many markers? I'm not sure. Um, my mom did buy went um, buy me like this big set of Crayola markers, and I can't remember. It was like 64 or something. Okay, like that. so that would be a high definition marker set. Yeah, it, it's like it's like multiple shades of like the yeah. same color, basically. Twenty thousand colors. Cool. That's yeah. awesome. Well, you are the artiste. If anybody needs one of those, it's you. So, and then the other thing is, that is this is this also like other random markers I've just acquired over this year and some permanent markers and 
Okay, now, no graffiti on the walls. That's, <laughs> that's a rule here. Hey, next up is our uh, friend Preston Dennist from someplace out in California. And Preston Dennett, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you guys? Now, I'm geographically challenged, so when I think of California and fires, I immediately thought about you. Are you okay? Yeah, everything's fine. My brother was actually in the evacuation zone, so it was pretty scary for a few days there. But actually, yeah, it was terrifying. <laughs> uh, we've been through this before, so it's not entirely new. And I can't say I'm surprised, considering you know what's been going on with our environment. Have you folks all decided to do a better job of raking in the forest then? <laughs> we got to do something. Um, yeah. And your brothers and know. his family's okay? Yes. Good. Yes, thank goodness. Thank you. Yeah. Okay, Preston, it's always so fun to talk with you because you seem to be a magnet for these interesting stories that somehow people send you or they find out about you because of all your books you've got out. What do you have for us this month? Oh, I've got a few things, actually. been pretty busy. Um, I don't know if you guys recall, uh, last year, I think it was, I was contacted by this lady whose teenage son had an implant under his molar tooth. He went to the dentist and it showed up this kind of BB-like object. Wow. Um, Well, she's still having experiences. She called me up and she says, what's this about praying mantis? Um, Are they real? (laughs) And I'm like, well... Yeah, I've heard a number of accounts. Why do you ask? And she says, well, they came to me. And I ended up calling her, and we had a conversation. <clears throat> and uh, she had this really incredible encounter. They had just gone to the dentist again, confirmed that that strange object is still in her son's mouth. Uh, he's pretty shy and nervous, doesn't like to talk about this stuff. Uh, but uh, she thought it was pretty much exclusive to him, all these experiences. But no. She had an experience just last week where she woke up and she was not in her house. She was in another place. She said it was very confusing because it was this small, rounded room. I'm like, hmm, heard that before. Mm-hmm. But there was a couch in there and there was a chair and a table and it looked like sort of a living room set. Mm-hmm. Like, interesting because I've heard this a few times. She says, you know, it looked like they set it up to make me think it was a living room, but she knew instantly it wasn't. There was another gentleman there, and he was sitting not far from her, a another, young man. Another human. Another human being. Nice, good-looking young man. And she turns to him and says, what are you doing here? And he kind of just shrugged and gave him an expression of like, you know, just got to get through this. And she turned, and that's when she saw one of these praying mantis things and I'm thinking okay it's probably going to be tall she says, it was so tall yeah they usually are and she said it was about seven feet tall she looked over and saw, was looking at its waist about and just kind of looked straight up to its huge huge eyes is what really impressed her she says you know it wasn't scary at all it wasn't the least bit frightening she felt actually really calm uh, and she says it wasn't green or anything like that. It had a grayish kind of color, sort of a grayish white, which again is what I usually hear. And uh, it was operating on this young man. It turned the man around and put this instrument on his neck. 
and spent like 10 minutes trying to describe this thing, which I never really got a clear image of other than it's about the size of a deck of cards or a cell phone and had sort of weird shapes and lights to it. And they placed it on the back of his neck and were doing something to him. I'm treating him for something. Now, she has diabetes. She was thinking, well, maybe they're you know, curing him or something. And uh, they turned to her, and they, were, they wanted to operate on her. And she says, no. She's like, You're, you are not going to. And that is where the experience ended. She mm -hmm. does not remember what happened after that, except waking up. And uh, she described these details that I've heard before, which makes me think, you know, this is not a dream. She kept telling me, this is not a dream, this is not a dream. She must have spent 20 minutes before she even got into it because she just wanted to really say, no, I'm not crazy. This has never happened to me before and mm -hmm. this sort of thing. You know, uh, I'm always interested in these stories of um, uh, insect-like beings, uh, and it's almost as if they need to contact or abduct humans to help operate their craft. I mean, think if you had like these pincer claws, how you'd push a button, open a door, a doorknob, you know, a lot of that stuff. It, you know, I, I, look at, I look at some of these reports and I wonder, Preston, could they be using a form of mental interplay and they create this image of the, the praying mantis in the mind of the people that are looking at them? when actually they're, they're not? Um, it's entirely possible. I've got a number of cases where people you know, have seen what they thought were humans and they dissolved into greys. Uh, praying mantis, I haven't seen that, but I have seen people being taken on board fairly regularly and taught how to fly these craft. Mm -hmm. so, so that is interesting. You know, the, uh, Jim, it's like the praying mantis would say, Hey, Jim, would you mind pushing that button over there? Because my claws and pincers, I can't push I, that button. It would be, oh, like I get to drive? Cool. <laughs> Here we go. Loop-de-loop. Loop. <laughs> yeah. What an interesting story. Wow. Yeah, and when she started to describe certain details, I kind of got chills. She's like, they moved so strangely, Preston. They would sort of jerk really quickly, like real fast. I'm like, yes, they do that. They kind of blink in and out of existence almost, like dart, in a way that's really hard to describe. And she struggled to describe it. But because I've heard it so many times, I knew exactly what she was talking about. Mm -hmm. This like, is all, wow. all, all very interesting to me because I'm a fan of the science fiction writer Alan Dean Foster. And he has created a universe where humanity is allied with a race of mantis-like beings. And uh, it's, it's quite an enjoyable series to read. I, I really enjoyed it. See, that's another, another back into my theory that they need somebody to help them push the buttons and open the door. Well, actually, these creatures had a set of arms that had hands on them okay. in addition to the, the pincer claws and the, the forelegs. Pretty hard to beat the opposable so, thumb. You it know? is. That's why well, I, I say if... If, <laughs> if uh, cats ever develop opposable thumbs we're going to have real problems <laughs> well as as far as i'm concerned cats are aliens that they are that arrived <laughs> here many many years ago they shape-shifted into the form of a cat and, and they, then they realized they had it so good why change yeah they've got us pretty well trained don't they 
So Hey, that's exactly what a Colorado abductee told me. She says they look like cats with their heads shaved. <laughs> Whoa, I've that's a that. look. Oh. <laughs> wow. So, yeah, so, so this lady is telling me this, and then she says, you know, Preston, I've had some other things. They came before once and took my eggs. I'm like, you're kidding. You never told me this. She says, well, I don't want to sound like I'm crazy. I'm like, you don't. Believe me, I've heard these things before. So she described how Grace came into her bedroom and basically operated on her. And uh, she couldn't really see a whole lot because um, she was, was unable to move. But she knew exactly what was happening. Uh, they communicated to her, basically, that this is what they were doing. So she's a full-on abductee. has got all the signs and symptoms and uh, just had a real hard time coming to terms with it. And it's only done so recently, and it's still kind of going through it. As, as I understand your excellent narrative, this started with her son. And right. at some point, there was a trigger that got her to be aware of her own personal experiences. Yeah, it's funny. When I first talked to them, they completely denied any UFO involvement. They just had this implant. And after m- much questioning, I found out the son had had a close-up encounter and it was really close. So I thought, well, there you go. That's probably when it happened. But she denied anything except maybe one odd dream as a young woman. Mm-hmm. And it was just odd enough to make me think, hmm, you know, because she was talking about seeing a large-eyed baby and short creatures and in a small room. But she's like, no, it was just a dream. I'm like, okay, you know, that's fine. People have dreams. But now, you know, I'm thinking she's got all these other encounters and yeah they're just one of the many many people who i think are going through this mm-hmm. and the poor thing has nobody to talk to she's really nervous about it and just called me up she's like please please i need to talk to you I'm like yeah. anytime how, how do people track you down preston um sometimes it's a long road i have to tell you they usually for someone like her who you know, doesn't read ufo books doesn't watch tv uh she went on the internet just start, you know, typing around and searching and surfing until she came up on my website. And uh, my sister-in-law also has all kinds of artwork of these beings. Mm-hmm. And she's, that's how it initially happened. She saw a drawing of a praying mantis, and it turned out to be one of my sister-in-law's drawings. So that's how she got to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she says it looked just exactly like your sister-in-law drew. Well, I'm not surprised. She works kind of like a police sketch artist, working really closely with experiencers to sort of get the details right. And we know she's right when the experiencer starts, you know, tearing up or crying or freaking out because it's so darn, you know, exactly like what they've seen. Uh, Preston, uh, if people listening here uh, have something to share with you, how can they reach you? What's the best best way? Um, you can. Contact me um, through through my email, which you can get at my website. Any search engine should take you there. It's, the actual address is PrestonDennett.Weebly.com. And, uh, yeah, always interviewing people. I've got another interview set up this weekend. And I uh, just talked to another lady who was healed. It's my 300th case of uh, UFO healing wow. that I've documented. So, gosh, I am keeping so busy these days. 
Uh, it's always great, uh, Preston, to check in with you, and it's great to hear that you're safe. Thank you. I appreciate that. All the best, and uh, gosh, it seems weird to say this, but I will talk to you next year. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Right. 2019. I'm there. Okay, Preston, thanks again for all you do. Thank you. Preston Dennett, our first Saturday of the month guest. If you type in Preston Dennett to your favorite search engine, I don't know how he does it, but he's going to pop right up there. The full website is PrestonDennett.Weebly.com. Preston Dennett joins us the first Saturday of every month. We'll take this bottom of the hour break. We'll be back with our main guest, Nomar Slevic, the author of Otherworldly Encounters, Evidence of UFO Sightings and Abductions. Hey, if you haven't made your gift or donation to KZUM in 2018, now is the time. Give your year-end gift now and sustain KZUM through the winter months. Keep warm with our new KZUM socks. When you give $50 or more or stay sweet, with our exclusive KZUM cookie cutters, when you give a gift of $100, be the Holly to our Jolly. Give us a call at 402-474-5086, extension 1, and show your support. And you can also visit our safe and secure online website at kzum.org. Give the gift that, uh, that you listen to every day, every week, every month. KZUM Radio, we appreciate your donation and your year-end gift. 402 474 5086 extension 1. Hey, the voice of the blues in Lincoln, Nebraska, KZUM Lincoln and KZUM HD. Support for KZUM comes from the Nebraska Recycling Council helping to protect the natural environment and extend the life of our landfill. Reminding Lincoln and Lancaster County that corrugated cardboard will not be accepted at the landfill. For more on recycling services and area drop-off sites, nrcne.org or 402-436-2384. The full moon lights the silver rails winding around dark mountains and over steep gorges of jagged rock in one freezing cold rushing Black Mountain River. I wish there was enough time to describe all of the funny twists and turns that led up to now, but there isn't enough time because there's a ticking clock and the two passengers we care most about don't know anything about it. To see what happens next, visit read.gov to read The Exquisite Corpse, a riveting adventure pieced together by John Sheska, Shannon Hale, Daniel Handler, and other popular authors. Explore new worlds. Read. Brought to you by the Library of Congress and the Ad Council. Far from the din of commercial culture and just this side of the abstract is a place I call Mesoterra. I'm Vic Valverde, your tour guide for an eclectic musical excursion on a program called Mesoterra. Saturdays, 12 noon until 1.30, right here on KZUM.
Thanks so much for your support on Giving Tuesday. It's still the perfect time for you to give your year-end gift to KZUM. When you make a donation of $25 or more, now or by December 31st, you'll be entered into our drawing to win a KZUM pass to the Bourbon Theater. This pass allows you to attend one concert of your choice each month in 2019. How do you get that? How do you make your donation a gift? Call us at 402-474-5086, extension 1, or do it securely online through kzum.org. And uh, speaking of the uh, Giving Tuesday, that prompted me to give a donation to KZUM. So I'm on board, and I tell you what, it feels great to give, folks. Well, the gang's all here. We've got Colleen and Jim and you folks out there, and we'd like to welcome to the broadcast a uh, first-time guest, and this is Nomar Slevic. He's a ufologist and paranormal researcher. He makes his home in Bangor, Maine, and he's a member of the Paranormal Research in Maine, or Prime Paranormal. He's got a couple of books out. The previous book was UFOs Over Maine, Close Encounters from the Pine Tree State. And this brand new one that Colleen, the artist on board here, really liked the cover art. It's Otherworldly Encounters, Evidence of UFO Sightings and Abductions. Please welcome Nomar Slevic to the broadcast. Good morning, Nomar. Good morning. Thanks so much for having me on, and thank you. For your pronunciation of ufologist, I just prefer that pronunciation, and uh, I'm glad Colleen liked the cover. I liked it too, uh, uh, so it's pretty cool. Thank you for saying that. How am I doing with the pronunciation for your name too? Uh, perfect, perfect. No more Slavic. Okay, and is that Czechoslovakian or Polish or? It's Czech. You're the first no more I've ever talked to, and I think it's an interesting name. May I, may I call you by your first name? Tell, tell me, what got you so interested in the paranormal? Well, it, uh, it, it happened a whole lot of years ago, Scott. It was mm-hmm. like 82, 83. I was four or five years old. And I was, uh, at the time, living in Fort Kent. And Fort Kent is at the tip of Maine. You can literally throw a rock and hit Canada. That's how close it is. And I was sound asleep. And a loud, loud clap of thunder woke me up. And I could hear the tapping of rain hitting the windows. I saw a flash of light. And my young mind was like, oh, a thunder and lightning storm. So I sat up in bed, and I was watching out the window. And then after a moment or so, a thick lightning bolt penetrated a cloud. I know that sounds weird, but that's how my brain processed it at the time. And that's how I remember it. Uh, So this thick lightning bolt penetrated a cloud, and, and if I were to ask you to draw a lightning bolt, you'd probably draw this thick, jagged yellow line, or maybe think mm-hmm. of the, uh, the charging indicator on your smartphone, like it looked like that, you know, in my head. And, and I knew at the time, even being four or five years old, that you only see lightning for a very little amount of time, but it was staying there, stuck in this cloud, and I kept hearing these booms, and there were these, like, electrical arcs, like, coming off of it, and then I eventually drifted back off to sleep. I woke up the next morning, went to the bathroom. When I was walking back to my room, I could see out my bedroom windows, and the lightning bolt was still there. So I ran downstairs. I got my dad. I brought him up to my room to show him, and it was gone. 
uh, I tried explaining to him what I saw, but he kind of did what, you know, all adults do. He was mm-hmm. like, yeah, yeah, you know, just pacify me. Uh, but I must have been pretty insistent about what I had seen to the point where he was like, listen, like, it didn't, it, it didn't even rain the night before. And that's when I actually got kind of scared. And because I didn't understand what I saw, if it wasn't a lightning bolt, then what the heck was it, you know? Right. About two weeks later, I was also witness to the Northern Lights. My mom and dad dragged my, my sister and I out of bed. It was very early in the morning, probably three, four o'clock in the morning. Dragged us out of bed, and it was the only time I've ever seen the Northern Lights. But again, I remember it just like it was yesterday, just like that lightning bolt in the cloud. And those two experiences taught me at a young age that the world is friggin' strange and mysterious and beautiful. And that was really the catalyst to my interest of all things strange. And I really think that lightning bolt might have been the first time I ever witnessed a UFO. Mm-hmm. So it it was there... Um, and you went back to bed and then got up the next morning, and it, your first glance, it was still there. Yeah, still there. And and I can remember it seen in the morning that there were clouds and a blue sky, and that lightning bolt was still there. But at nighttime, it was a darker sky, like a grayer sky, uh, same mm-hmm. cloud, and this lightning bolt was in there. And, and it was really active at night, meaning... That's where you could see the arcs, hear the booms. But when I, you know, glanced at it in the morning, you know, the the blue sky, all that stuff, there's no arcs mm-hmm. or sounds or anything. But, uh, but yeah, that was my experience. I don't know what the heck it was. Mm-hmm. It could have been a dream. I have no idea. But it seemed very real to me. And regardless mm-hmm. of what it was, it was it was the catalyst to, mm-hmm. to my fascination with all things strange. <laughs> I'm I'm asking you to <clears throat> to enter the realm of conjecture just for a moment with me, but. Do you suppose sure. uh, that if other people had looked out their bedroom windows in that same general area, do you suppose they also would have seen that that lightning bolt? And or was that something that, that was only meant for to be experienced by you? I think if you were to ask me at the time, I, w- I would be screaming at you don't you see it look out the window mm-hmm. so I, I would have assumed at the time that everybody looking up would have seen it uh you know you're asking me in my adult mind I, I, it really feels like something that 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 manifested out of my own world if mm-hmm. you will like it, it just felt all-encompassing i'm not really sure if that makes sense but it didn't feel like like outsiders could really observe it, it which may have been evident by I see it, I go get my dad, and, and then it's gone. You know, like maybe reality set back in, or my brain was like, okay, there's, you know, other people around now. This, mm-hmm. isn't, this isn't the time to see this. You know, no, no more. What was the, what, the best answer, but. No, that was fine. What was your age again? Uh, four or five years old. There was a uh, UFO experiencer I met many, many years ago, Ida Cannonberg that she wrote about the uh, UFO experience uh, as a initiation and that a lot of us, and I'm in, in your club, a lot of us have had something in our childhood that got us interested in this subject that later on as an adult we dived into. Mm-hmm. How does that resonate with you to, to think about maybe this was a initiation or initiatory experience to get you ready for something Mm. later on? 
I, I certainly like the idea of it. Uh, I, I could certainly be a proponent of it. Uh, I think one thing maybe I should say now is that I'm a uh, I'm an open-minded skeptic is, is what I like to call myself. It, it's maybe a little cliche now, but it, it's really the truest way of saying what I am. Uh, you know, I've interviewed hundreds of people, and and I don't believe everything. I'm a believer in the phenomenon, but I'm not a believer of all stories or all theories. I, I entertain all stories and all theories and, and, and things like that, and then and then you know come to my own conclusion or opinion. Uh, I do try not to pass up those opinions uh, in my professional work, if you will, you know, like, you know, in the book that you have, uh, I do like to read it, leave it up to the reader to decide. But with that said, I think there might be something to what she said. Uh, it, it, throughout my lifetime, I've had 11 significant UFO sightings. Mm-hmm. I don't feel as though I've ever been abducted. I've never had any odd memories, but 11 is a large number. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it's rare for anybody to have one. And I've had 11. And I've had one, like, this year. And I, was just I gonna, don't think I'm special. I was just going to say that your friends probably say, what do you want to do tonight? Anybody want to see a UFO? Let's call no more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I wish it were like that. Because if it were, I'd, I'd always be ready with a camera. However, a couple of times I have caught them on camera. They're on my YouTube channel. We can get into that later. But... Um, uh, so, you know, I've seen, you know, a lot of things in the sky, and they are quite simply unidentified flying objects. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean they're extraterrestrial. Uh, it doesn't mean they're spacecraft. It, it just means I've seen something that I could readily identify. I think out of those 11, there's probably two or three where I'm pretty convinced that they are something otherworldly. Mm-hmm. Again, no, no proof of any kind. Again, I've captured two of them on camera. They simply look like lights in the sky. So you you show it to a skeptic, and you're like, oh, it's just light sky. It could be anything. Well, mm-hmm. yeah, you're right. <laughs> you know. But when you put the, the pieces of the puzzle together, the circumstances and why I was in a particular place at a particular time with my camera and the stories that go with that location, well, it becomes a little bit more significant. You know, mm-hmm. Even if just to the observer, it's more significant, you know. Uh, this is our, our first-time guest, Nomar Slevic. <clears throat> the book is called Otherworldly Encounters, Evidence of UFO Sightings and Abductions, just published by Llewellyn. Interesting subject. I love this <laughs> Oh, interesting subject. Uh, this is a subject that is near and dear to me. So uh, something happened just this year, you say? Yeah, yeah. It wasn't, you know, like super significant or anything, but uh, um, it was kind of interesting where I had, uh, this was a few months ago now, so we're, it was in like the middle of summer. And, well, geez, December, isn't it? Like you were saying at the beginning of the show, wow, time flies. Uh, so I guess it was probably four months ago now, because I, mm-hmm. I want to say it was like after July 4th. And uh, I had spoken to a dogman witness from, from Maine, and mm-hmm. we can get into that story later, too, if you want. Mm-hmm. Pretty uh, interesting. Uh, but later on that day, I uh, was going for, uh, just going to the store, and I was driving on the highway to do it. And while on the highway, I saw this silver ball in the daytime sky, and... I'm looking at it for a second, and you never know, like, when you see something like that, is it just a glint off an airplane? Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I live right next to an airport, so seeing uh, planes fly over the highway isn't, uh, you know, uh, 
uh, unheard of by any means. Typically, they're pretty low, mm-hmm. actually, where the, the highway is. But this was fairly high in the sky. I would not say satellite height by any means. I would say probably flying altitude height for uh, you know a regular commercial-sized plane. But it appeared as as a ball, a silver ball. So I waited for a second just to make sure it wasn't like the glint off a wing or something like that. And it, it, it stayed in that shape. And it actually appeared to like be hovering. That's always tough to tell when you're driving, though. Like, is it slightly moving? You know. And then, as I'm staring at it, it just drops straight down, almost like somebody was holding it and just let it go. And it it. it disappeared in that descent and i was like well what the hell was that (laughs) and you just wish you could rewind things in that moment so the best thing that i could do was just document it i actually uh, when i got to the store that i was going to i sat in the car for a moment and sent myself an email and and just wrote up the story you know like how fast i was driving and just what i saw you know Um, but that was this year and that seemed more significant than just, oh, I was probably playing, it was probably, you know, it was daylight. I've seen a million planes in the sky, especially in this area. It seemed more significant, you know? Uh, interesting. You mentioned in the book uh, Stan Friedman, and I've, no more, I've always loved um, what Stan has said, that, that we have all these reports, so many from credible witnesses like yourself, the argument is not based upon whether or not all of these reports are true and correct. The entire argument rests on the idea if one of these is true and correct, then it's a whole new ballgame. And yeah. personally, I, I, I won't speak for you, but personally, I crossed that line on, you know, how much do we need before we make that decision? I crossed that many years ago. Mm-hmm. I believe that there is. Oh, sure. I think a lot of us have. You know, uh, a lot of us are, you know, would describe themselves as believers. You know, and and uh, so I think a lot of us have have passed that. But you know, what what Stanton's talking about, and I think what a lot of us wish for, is a mass acceptance of it. I think there's actually a mass acceptance of the existence of alien life form. Like, I think people are very accepting of the fact that the, the, the universe is a very large place. It would be very odd if we were the only ones around. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's a big jump for people to be like, yes, and they're coming here and taking us and things like that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But I do think there's a mass acceptance of alien life in general. Uh, but to this further extent that you and I are talking about, not as accepted and... Um, I think they're fascinating stories, and, you know, I, I, I do, I don't know why I care so much, but I just want people to believe. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, folks, um, Normar Slevic also is, in addition to the study of UFOs being a ufologist, he's a paranormal researcher, and when I heard this about Nomar, I clapped my hands because we need more of this cross-disciplinary approach because if we stay in these tight little narrowly defined fields, oh, I only do ghosts. I only do out of body experience. I only do UFOs. I only do, you know, which toothpaste is the best. You know, we miss these connections. And uh, I'm, a, I'm an old school Fordian from Charles Ford. And so mm. I, I look at these, what seem to be disparate phenomena 
and I liken them no more to looking at my hand and seeing five digits that appear to be separate, but they all join together in my hand. Mm-hmm. So I, I congratulate yeah, I, I you on that approach. Uh, when we well, come I back appreciate from the, that. When we come back from the top of the hour, let's talk about some of that paranormal side. Uh, you mentioned this interesting dogman story that, that, uh, that you've heard about. Uh, there's a lot of stuff going on in Maine, isn't there? Yeah, Maine's a, Maine's a strange place. You just have to pay attention a little bit, you know? Get off your uh, phone a little bit and uh, just pay attention, but yeah. And it's a very outdoors-orientated place. It reminds me a lot about Colorado because people accept there's going to be wild weather, and so they, they basically have a lifestyle that, that enjoys that. And so you folks are not afraid to get yeah. out in the wintertime and, and snowmobile and do all sorts of things. <laughs> That's right. We're looking at here, uh, after an overnight of rain, uh, we're looking at sometime no more today. It turns to snow here. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're at the yeah, south edge of this. We've got some weather coming in for tomorrow. Yeah, this band coming through that we could get <laughs> yeah. anywhere from zero up to six inches. It's it's very wet out there right now. I think it rained all night and uh, finally let up a little while ago. Yeah. But uh, we've got more coming in. Mm-hmm. Now, Mar, with us here, too, when we come back from the top of the hour, we'll bring them in. This is Jim over here as well as Colleen. And uh, so we'll have a, a, a great further conversation. And my friend, uh, my new friend, and if you'll stay right there, we'll be right back no more. All right. This is No More Slevic. The brand new book published by Llewellyn Publications is Otherworldly Encounters, Evidence of UFO Sightings and Abductions. You'll find No More, N-O-M-A-R, Slevic, S-L-E-V-I-K. You'll find No More Slevic also on Facebook. I'm Scott Colborn. I hope you're enjoying the show. As we remind you to give your year-end gift to KZUM, we understand you may be curious as to where that support goes. So thanks for your community support in 2018. 87 public performances were created for local Nebraska artists. 63 nonprofit organizations were supported through on-air announcements and our calendar. Two brand new offices were built in KZUM's business corner as we welcome new staff and grow our development and production departments. We appreciate you folks so much. Be the backer to our sound. Call us at 402-474-5086, extension 1, to give your year-end gift now. You can also do that at kzum.org. Our special guest, Nilmar Slevic, with Colleen, Jim, and I, and you guys and gals, we are exploring... Unexplained phenomena. We'll be right back. Hey, the voice of the blues in Lincoln, Nebraska. KZUM Lincoln and KZUM HD. This program is made possible in part by a grant from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. My name is Manny Morales. I'm 45 and I coach youth football. It's still hard to believe because the high school me was a work in progress. But big brothers, big sisters give me a real role model. And the young me needed a role model back. 
My bigger brother's name is Ray, and Ray is the reason that this seven-year-old grows up to be a role model himself. Whether you donate money or time, you're helping Big Brothers Big Sisters help a child. Start something today at BigBrothersBigSisters.org. Brought to you by Big Brothers Big Sisters and the Ad Council. Far from the din of commercial culture and just this side of the abstract is a place I call Mesoterra. I'm Vic Valverde, your tour guide for an eclectic musical excursion on a program called Mesoterra. Saturdays, 12 noon until 1.30, right here on KZUM. Our special guest this morning is Numar Slevic. And the brand new book is Otherworldly Encounters, Evidence of UFO Sightings and Abductions. And there is more than just this, I say this UFO stuff in the book, because there's just a whole bunch of stuff in here. Have you ever seen a... a, Go ahead, I'm sorry. No, please go ahead, no more. Oh, just there's, you know, crop circles, men in black, uh, potential dogman encounters, you know, balls of light, lots of lots of odd and strange things, and even paranormal happenings after a UFO encounter. So mm-hmm. it really, you know, it's not a stretch to think maybe, like you were saying earlier, that these are all related somehow, you know. Mothman, we think about Mount Pleasant, Virginia, and the, the John Keel... Uh, book, the movie with Richard Gere, there have been actual reports in other places of um, these winged creatures. A friend of mine calls them winged weirdies. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I, I love the case of the Mothman, specifically from, from Point Pleasant in the 66, but obviously recently, too, the Chicago sightings have been very odd. Yes. Uh, recent reports, and uh, but Maine had an encounter too. If you don't mind me getting into the story a little bit, please do. Yeah, sure. This started in 2001, and what's interesting is that it, it is almost 35 years to the month of the original sightings of Point Pleasant, in '66. So kind of synchronistic there. But anyways, uh, this witness who prefers to remain anonymous in the book, I call him Robert Osborne, uh, but he does prefer to remain anonymous. Uh, He was walking home early one evening. He was 17 at the time. And he was walking on Washington Street towards his apartment, which, and Washington Street starts right at the center of downtown Camden, Maine. And Camden, Maine is a gorgeous little coastal town right out of a Stephen King book. (laughs) And uh, as he walked, he began hearing this chirping or squeaking sound, kind of like a mouse, but louder. And he looked down to see what it was, like he didn't want to step on it. And as he was looking down on the ground, he saw the shadow of this thing go by on the pavement, which caused him to look up. And when he looked up, he saw this odd humanoid figure with this huge wingspan fly over him, and it was making that sound. He said the body was about four, four and a half feet long with these large translucent wings. And he said it flew right up over the apartment building that he lived in. 
And as it did that, he was able to get a good measurement of the wingspan. And he said it went from one side of the eaves of the building to the other. Well, I went down there to check it out, and that's about 25 feet in length. Mm -hmm. We're talking like the size of a Cessna or something. That's pretty large. That's crazy. He said it then flew off into this marshy area behind the building. And he talked to friends and family about it, and it's not that they really didn't believe him. They were just thinking maybe he misidentified something. Uh, there are turkey vultures in the area, sandhill cranes in the area. Uh, but he, he was pretty sure that it wasn't either of those things. And then he started having these reoccurring dreams. He said he would find himself at that same spot on Washington Street, and when he looked up in his dream, he would see a UFO instead of that figure, and he said it was as large as a house. And as soon as he looked at it, it would roar and, and, and take off. And, you know, being a researcher and an interviewer, I, I asked him, I was like, hey, is that a dream or is that, or could it have been maybe a memory? And what he told me was, he tells people that it's a dream. But he told me, and he said that I could share this, is that he actually believes it's a memory. Mm-hmm. And a few months later, he was on Washington Street again, and then he saw the creature again. But this time it was much farther away, but it was making that same sound. But since it was farther away, it actually cast him doubt. He's like, maybe it is a large bird, because that's what it looked at. Looked like to him that far away, so he was questioning his original sighting. So he didn't think much of it. He graduated high school, started going to college. That first summer of college break, he came back to Camden, you know, as most college students did. And he's hanging out with a buddy. They're driving around town. And as they're driving around town, this thing smacked into their windshield. Whoa. And he said it looked like this. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I'm just exclaiming. Wow. What a welcome home. (laughs) And he, he said it looked like this blob of wet paper mache with those same translucent wings, but obviously much smaller. And he said it looked like a smaller version of what he saw during his first encounter, perhaps a juvenile of the first creature. And him and his buddy are just staring at this thing. The car is kind of like slowly rolling to a stop and they're just stunned and terrified. And as the car stopped, this thing just kind of like comes to life and flutters away. And after that, he knew what he originally saw was no bird. He said, this thing was this weird creature. And there is a drawing of it uh, that I did include in the book. And uh, uh, there's a little bit more to the encounter, again, ongoing. He's with his girlfriend now. This is another summer. So we're a couple of years removed from this now, from that original encounter. He's with his girlfriend, and they're outside enjoying the weather, and they're watching the sky. And he can hear the chirping happening again. And he looks to the woods where it went that first time, and he can hear it. His girlfriend heard it, too, and she just figured it was some of the wildlife that was in the Mm -hmm. area. And he decided not to tell her about it at the time. But he was a bit nervous knowing that whatever that was was kind of close by. Mm -hmm. But he ended up marrying that girl. He shared the story with her, and they now live in southern Maine, which is about two hours south of of, of, uh, Camden, Maine. And he started having reoccurring dreams again. And this is about 10 years later. He, He, you know, he's almost 30 now. And he started having these reoccurring dreams again. And, and, and this time it was in this new house that he moved into with his wife. 
And he said he would go into the bathroom in the stream and look out the bathroom window, and he would see a UFO hovering above the tree line. And when he observed the UFO, boom, he would wake up. He thinks that this is a dream. He doesn't think like it's a memory like that, that first reoccurring dream. So, that, you know, that's the difference there. But it's interesting, though, with the uh, uh, concurrent themes uh, of the Mothman sighting from Point Pleasant, there was also UFO sightings going on at the time. Mm-hmm. And he had this, what he called a memory of that first encounter with the UFO overhead. And then he started having these reoccurring dreams well into his adult life. It's very odd, very odd story. There are reports of these winged uh, wonders from all over the world. Uh, you mentioned Absolutely. the Point Pleasant. You mentioned the Chicago sightings. I remember not too many years ago coming from the Mexico area, we were getting uh, flying humanoid reports of what mm-hmm. looked to be people in a seated position, you know, a couple thousand feet up in the air yeah. flying around. Um, so back in the 1960s, uh, someplace in my archives, I still got the the drawing that, that, that this person did, but they were uh, in southeast Nebraska by Auburn or Tecumseh and had driven back to the, the farmhouse they lived in. They got out of the pickup truck and then suddenly uh, both of these men were caused to look up and there was this creature that was floating overhead 15 or 20 feet above them, and that looked uh, humanoid in features, but had these gigantic wings. Uh, and wow. the, uh, the older of the two men suddenly is so thrown off by this that he remembers that he's got a 30-odd six on his gun rack in the pickup truck. And as soon as he thinks that, he gets this telepathic message saying, uh, don't get your gun, I'm not going to harm you, don't shoot me. And Whoa. so they, they just stand there mute as this thing slowly glides over their head. You know, quite literally, to borrow a phrase that, that you used earlier, they could have reached down and picked up a rock and, and hit this thing easily until this thing floats out of sight. Um, as to what this was, I have, I have no idea. Do you ever wonder again, uh, as I asked Preston Dennett in our, one of our opening segments, no more, do you ever wonder that the phenomena in a, a large sense that we interact with, does it at, at, at times have the ability to change its presentation to us so that it might, I'm going to use the term morph, I hate the, the word shapeshift, but to actually <laughs> alter its its image that we perceive to create some sort of effect in our consciousness? I certainly think it's possible. Uh, I wouldn't say I'm a 100% believer of that, but uh, I do find this theory fascinating. And I think one way that that was outlined very successfully uh, in a mainstream sense was the movie Contact where Jodie Foster, you know, went, uh, was in her ship and went to this, you know, parallel universe or whatever happened to her. And this being came to her in the form of something that would not terrify her, which was her father. Mm-hmm. I thought that was such a, a beautiful way to put it uh, in the context of, of maybe trying to help, mean, you know, people that maybe have a passive interest or no interest in, in, in this phenomenon. 
to, to, to get them to understand where some of these witnesses are coming from and, and how some of these stories could be presenting themselves. Because mm-hmm. I certainly do think it's possible. You know, was this a, a replacement memory that this gentleman in Camden, Maine, was seeing? You know, like, uh, was it not this translucent humanoid thing? Was it actually the UFO? And, 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 and that's what they put in as a replacement memory. Why would it be more of a normal creature? Who knows? But, uh, but also in some dogman sightings and encounters, there's typically, or maybe not typically, but a lot of times, balls of light are seen in a wooded area. Uh, they're observed over uh, days, months, years, mm-hmm. uh, alongside with dogmen encounters, uh, potentially implying that maybe these are astral-type beings that, that that is maybe their true form or a form that they travel in and then they appear in their true form, which is the dogman, or maybe that's the perceived form. Like, you can go down a rabbit hole with that, but uh, I certainly think it's a fun and, and interesting theory, though. This is Nomar Slevic, uh, Otherworldly Encounters, Evidence of UFO Sightings and Abductions, the brand new book uh, with that uh, really gorgeous front cover here. Who, who made the decision on that cover? Uh, that was the uh, publisher. I actually submitted, uh, I have a friend who's a graphic artist, so I submitted some of his work. I had my own ideas. And uh, they have, you know, Llewellyn's great, and they're, you know, uh, a fairly large company, and, and they have their own in-house graphic designers. And uh, they actually ran through a couple of different uh, uh, graphics, one where uh, there was somebody there observing a UFO. They were inside a car seeing a UFO in the sky, things like that. But they settled on on this because there's so many stories in there that kind of run the gamut. It's not just extraterrestrial. It's otherworldly mm-hmm. and i think that picture or the cover really conveys the otherworldliness that's you know contained inside and mm-hmm. it's, it's it's all mysterious you know and with in in light of that 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 wonderful encompassing term otherworldly uh, again i think it's so important to reiterate no more that as a paranormal researcher you bring a lot to the investigation uh, a lot that i think is much needed when we talk to somebody, ladies and gentlemen, that claims to have a, a UFO sighting, in the, uh, in the old days, the ufologist would be very strictly only interested in that UFO sighting. There would be no other questions asked, no other uh, doors opened. And it's so important to ask other questions, just stuff like, you know, has anything like this ever happened before, uh, perhaps when you were younger? You know, and you, you wait for that, and you, you think to yourself, okay, how, how else can I go about this? Has anything else ever happened that you regard as being um, unusual or otherworldly in addition to this UFO sighting? And they kind of look at each other what? and say, well, now that you say it that way, I did... And suddenly, there is another aspect, another chapter that opens up that would not have been present if that ufologist had just stayed with that narrowly defined case. And so I think we've got to do cross-discipline. We've got to open up to other areas. I think what you're doing is very important. Well, I appreciate that, and I think the way you just described it, it, you hit the nail right on the head. It's all about getting as much information as possible, and why would that not 
be relevant. I mean, if they have a past history of odd encounters or experiences inside of their home, I mean, that's significant to know yes. uh, in regards to any sort of case that you're you're investigating, even if they have seen a Sasquatch, you know, mm-hmm. like it, it, it's all very important. And, you know, I also cross use equipment. I, I still do EVP sessions in regards to extraterrestrial encounters. We, we don't know what these things are, what these beings are, what these aliens are. We, we don't know how they communicate. And so if I'm just in an area, like, I don't know if I normally can't see them. I don't know if it's predator style and they're cloaked or, and they're standing right next to me. I don't know. So I conduct EVP sessions. And uh, I actually, I'm working with a couple right now uh, uh, that um, leave a recorder out or have left a recorder out uh, while they sleep overnight. And they caught some very odd uh, EVPs, they caught this like strange metallic noise. And this was inside their room. Like you hear them sleeping, then all of a sudden this strange noise happens. And it, it almost sounds like a, a city bus breaking, if you will, you know, that high screech kind of sound. And then they caught another EVP that clearly says Earth. That's crazy, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. So you never know what you're going to get. I also use K2 meters. Uh, you know, one would assume that UFOs or, or these aliens could be emitting an, an electromagnetic field of, of some sort. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's also to rule out high concentrations of EMF that could influence people through hallucinations or paranoid thoughts, you know, which is an extreme symptom of high EMF. So I, I don't think we should rule out any sort of equipment, you know, not to, you know, just use a Geiger counter. Like, why not run the gamut, use everything at your disposal, mm-hmm. should you have the means to do that, you know? Mm-hmm. This is Nomar Slevic. The brand new book published by Llewellyn Publications is Otherworldly Encounters, Evidence of UFO Sightings and Abductions. Uh, Folks, if you haven't made your year-end donation to KZUM in 2018, now is the time. Give your year-end gift now and sustain KZUM through the winter months. Keep warm. (laughs) Boy, you're going to look forward to this uh, today and and tomorrow with the snow. Keep warm with our new KZUM socks when you give $50 or more. Stay sweet with our exclusive KZUM cookie cutters when you give a gift of $100. Be the holly to our jolly. Give us a call at 402-474-5086, extension 1. And you can also show your support and make your donations safely and securely online at kzum.org. And we thank you. Damore, you've mentioned several times the term uh, dogman. Can you tell us a little bit about what this is? And then you've got apparently a report that you've just heard about. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, dogman is, uh, some might say, or maybe somebody with a passive interest uh, in the phenomenon would say it's a, a new term for werewolf. Um, but it's really not the case because werewolf implies that there's a, a you know, a morph or a shape-shifting from a humanoid or a human actually into this, this you know, wolf-like hominid creature. Uh, but with dogmen, it appears that they're in this state all the time, unless, of course, these balls of light that are being reported uh, along with them uh, is, is, is another form of them. But regardless, when, when people have these encounters, these creatures are in this, this, this state already of, of a werewolf-like creature. Another way to describe it is a Sasquatch with a wolf head <laughs> uh, for somebody who has no experience with the phenomenon at all. That might be an easier way to put it, but people are reporting a bipedal human-like 
creature that's uh, anywhere from six to eight feet tall, uh, large, hairy, much like a Sasquatch, but has a snout and ears and a massive, you know, wolf head, for lack of a better term. Uh, and, and these are getting reported all across uh, the world, really. And, and Linda Godfrey has been doing some amazing research. I mean, she was really the one that brought it into the mainstream uh, with the uh, the Beast of Bray Road and and the, the interesting encounters that happened over there. So uh, that's, I guess, a very brief synopsis on what Dogman is. But uh, this gentleman that I talked to, uh, again, during the summer, he had an encounter in the summer of 94, 95, I think. I don't have my notes in front of me. But uh, he was in a remote area uh, of Maine, and he was camping. And he was with his wife and his young son. And his son at the time was, I think, three. And they had an RV, so it was parked in this on this camping site. There were no other campers there. It was just them. It was actually a family-owned plot of land that they would go up and stay stay at sometimes during the summer. The uh, the, the the wife is inside the RV and she's preparing some food and, and things like that. And the son is actually playing outside in front of the RV. And the gentleman that I spoke with said that he was inside the RV standing at the door, looking out the window at the young boy playing in the, uh, the the grass in front of him, you know, just keeping an eye on him. So while he's just kind of looking around outside, he says about a telephone pole's length away, uh, right at the edge of a tree line, he saw this creature, and he said it blended in fairly well. It was brownish fur, and it was this large creature that appeared to be crouched. And in the crouched position, it could see the bent legs. And in this crouched position, he said it was about four and a half feet tall. And he imagined that if this thing stood, it would be close to about eight feet tall. He said it was covered in fur, and it had this massive, large wolf head. Well, he became terrified at that point and and scared uh, that that something might happen to his son. And he said that this creature was actually watching his son. And he described it as prey, you know, somebody that, uh, sorry, uh, a creature that was preying uh, on something else that it was going to capture soon. So he immediately, you know, busted open the door, ran outside, got his son, brought him inside the RV. The wife was like, what the heck is going on? He explains what he saw. She's like, oh, my God, because she could tell how serious he was. She looks out the window. Creature's gone. That's pretty much their experience in a nutshell. However... It is rumored, anyways. He heard a story, uh, uh, you know, from a friend of a friend, so it kind of gets anecdotal at that point. But that an odd, quote unquote, creature was shot in the area about two weeks later, and that it was brought to the Maine Inland and Fisheries Department for identification. And he had he hadn't heard any outcome of that. I have put in an email request to the Maine Inland and Fisheries Department to. Uh, to see if there was any sort of report from that long ago in that area of an unidentified creature. But at this point, I still haven't heard back yet. Mm -hmm. Interesting. We've had Linda Godfrey on the show before, and always fascinating to talk about the the reports that she gets. Uh, Mm -hmm. how, How do people track you down no more? Well, a lot of different ways on Facebook, email, Twitter, (laughs) uh, phone calls. Uh, But uh, a lot of times, though, it's uh, 
you know, word of mouth, a, a friend recommends it to another friend, and and, uh, and then all of a sudden I get this, uh, you know, email or phone call from somebody saying, hey, this is really odd, and this happened, and uh, I just want to tell somebody my story. So mm-hmm. hopefully I can meet with them, you know, in person. When you can meet somebody in person, you, you, you can see the look in their eye, hear the tone in their voice, and, and see their body language and get a, a, a much better visual representation of of honestly the truthfulness of what they're trying to tell you mm-hmm. and uh, sometimes there's some people i just had to walk away from uh not in any sort of angry or, or unprofessional way i just you know heard their story out and thanked them for their time and and walked away convinced that they were making it up for what reason i don't know uh but some people i just don't follow up with and 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 uh, some i do and and really i break it down into three categories there's about 10 percent just small, that I don't believe at all, just like what I just described. I, I don't believe what they're telling me at all. A much larger percentage, I'd say about 80%, at the very least, I believe that they believe what they're telling me. And that's pretty significant. That's somebody you want to listen to. That's somebody's story that you want to write down and, 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 and try and put the pieces together. And then there's another 10%, which is also small, also rare, where I 100% believe them and think it's extraterrestrial or think it's paranormal in mm-hmm. nature of some sort. Mm-hmm. If, if you no more went out, um, because there's lots of rural and very wild areas in Maine, if you mm-hmm. went out to an area that was having either UFO sightings or Bigfoot encounters, um, uh, et cetera, would you go out there and would you invite contact? Uh, would you do any sort of of uh, protocols like Stephen Greer talks about to welcome contact? If you saw a bright light, <laughs> would you, you know, try the, the old flashlight trick to try to blink the light at them? If you saw a, a, a creature in the in the forest or heard some a series of wood knocks, would you try to to repeat those back to the creature would would you would you would you or have you tried that uh, I would and I have I have done those exact things I love going out into the field and and seeing what I can find especially if it's an area of uh, you know of a reported encounter I do sometimes go out just in the hopes of in- encountering something but my main uh, motivation to going out in the field is because an encounter has occurred. And in a couple of those encounters, I did, uh, you know, catch lights in the sky. Uh, one of those where I did catch light in the sky, I actually tried some UFO summoning. I'd never tried it before. I really don't have a high opinion of it <laughs> uh, with how it's presented sometimes. Um, but, uh, you know, I, it, it had been a long night. <laughs> so I figured, hey, let me try this out. And 10 minutes later... Not even 10 minutes. There was a light in the sky. I, I couldn't believe it. I, I I don't know. I don't know what to think of it now, you know, because, uh, again, it wasn't something that I had a very high opinion of before. And, I, and maybe I shouldn't put it that way. It was just something that I didn't believe, like, worked very well for whatever reason, my own perceptions, whatever. Mm-hmm. And uh, But I actually tried it, and it, it was very simple. You know, I, it was just closing my eyes and, and uh, you know, being very still, clearing my mind. One thing I actually like to do is, to clear my mind, is I like to think of, like, one of my favorite movie scenes. <laughs> I'm a huge fan of the Goodfellas movie. <laughs> so I, I think of the scene in Goodfellas, and uh, when the scene is done, it fades to black. And I just let that blackness sit there, and now my mind is clear. 
And then I start really having uh, an EVP session inside my head. Is anybody there? Reveal yourself to me. It's okay to show yourself to me. I, I want to see you. Can can you come here? You know, and, and, and just do that for a little while. And, and again, within 10 minutes or so, at this particular night, the only time it's worked, uh, but a, a light appeared. It was crazy. Is there a link that you feel in terms of um, our experience as humans with this nebulous other? Is the is the link consciousness? I certainly think it's possible, and if it's not, I don't really know what else it could be, honestly. Uh, I think it goes back to what you are saying about what that woman had thought. You know, we have this initiation. You know, is somebody like me or, you know, millions of others like us, you know, chosen for this, to see this, you know, and, and, and so maybe they're more susceptible to, to reveal themselves to us. You know, I don't know. It's an interesting thought, but, uh, but yeah, consciousness, I mean, I don't know what else it would be if it's not. If you had it to do over again, no more, would you, would you have made some of these decisions to, to be interested in the paranormal? In other words, has it enriched your life or is it something that you just as soon uh, say I'm done and do something else? No, it's it's certainly enriched my life. I think um, uh, researching the the unexplained is uh, when you break down. It's, it's for me, it's fun. But really, I, I really enjoy helping people. And like I was saying before, in that initial catalyst story where I saw that lightning bolt, I was scared, and I was scared for a while. And uh, it wasn't until I got into my late teens that it turned into fascination. And at that point, that's when like all this research started. I was trying to read every UFO and, and, and uh, ghost book and, and, and Sasquatch book that I could get my hands on, Loch Ness Monster, all that good stuff, you know, Bermuda Triangle, trying to read everything I could. And then I started talking to people and, and I figured that if I was scared, maybe other people are scared. And since I'm not anymore, maybe I can help them not be scared. I didn't really know how I would do that other than, hey, I, 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 I'm, an, I'm an unbiased ear. I'm a non-judgmental ear. I might not believe you. It might sound crazy, but I'm not going to judge you. Your, your story is safe with me. And, and that's how I started talking to people. Mm-hmm. And then in talking with people, I'm like, geez, people need to hear these stories. And there's nobody going around collecting these stories. Well, it turns out, you know, I, uh, as I learn as I get into my 20s, that there's tons of people sharing these stories. There's lots of authors and documentarians and things sharing these stories. And I, I wanted to add to that. I think these stories are important. I think they're historically important for the towns, the small towns and communities that these encounters happen in. And I think it's great to, to try to have some historical record of it. I even ponder in my book a little bit that some of these stories that I'm sharing, some of these stories I'm getting from witnesses could turn into folklore. And, you know, a thousand years from now, you know, hologram light beings will be reading these. I don't know, you know. And, and uh, but yeah, that's kind of my thought on the whole thing. Our special guest today is Nomar Slevic. We're going to take a bottom of the hour break and be back with more conversation. His brand new book is called Otherworldly Encounters Evidence of UFO Sightings and Abductions. You'll find Nomar Slevic, S L E V I K. Nomar, N-O-M-A-R, Nomar Slevic, on Facebook. And uh, there is a website, primeparanormal.org. And, of course, the book is published by Llewellyn Publications. 
Thank you for your support on Giving Tuesday. It's still the perfect time for you to give your year-end gift to KZUM Radio. When you make a donation of $25 or more, now or by December 31st, you'll be entered in our drawing to win a KZUM pass to the Bourbon Theater. This pass allows you to attend one concert of your choice per month in 2019. And we appreciate that uh, support very much. You want to do some year-end giving, KZM Radio. It's non-profit, non-commercial, and independent. The flagship, and for over 34 years, has stood behind our back for the Exploring and Explained Phenomena broadcast. Stay tuned for more conversation with Nomar Slovic. Colleen and Jim are here. I'm Scott Colborn, and you guys and gals, we are exploring unexplained phenomena. Hey, the voice of the blues in Lincoln, Nebraska, KZUM Lincoln and KZUM HD. Support for This Week in Lincoln comes from the Bay, the Bourbon Theater, Duffy's Tavern, and the Zoo Bar. This is live music happening this week in Lincoln. Saturday, December 1st brings Kill OG to Duffy's Tavern with special guest DJs beginning at 9. And the MGDs and Tim Budig Band play the Zoo Bar at 9. That's all happening this week in Lincoln. Support for KZUM comes from family-owned and operated Butheris Mason and Love Funeral Home at 40th and A Streets in Lincoln. Offering services that allow families to plan ahead according to personal wishes, chapel facilities to accommodate all faiths, and grief support materials for the family following a service. More information is available at 402-488-0934 and online at bmlfh.com. Don't let all this commercialism ruin my Christmas. Be the bread to our ginger. Support KZUM with a year-end gift before January 1st to keep building on the momentum we've created together in 2018. Making one last contribution this year gets KZUM's new fiscal year rolling, sustaining programs like this that you tune in for every week. Plus, we have some incredible limited thank you gifts that any stocking would be thrilled to be stuffed with. Check them out and make your contribution by December 31st at KZUM.org. My name is Manny Morales. I'm 45 and I coach youth football. It's still hard to believe because the high school me was a work in progress. But big brothers, big sisters give me a real role model. And the young me needed a role model bad. My bigger brother's name is Ray. And Ray is the reason that this seven-year-old grows up to be a role model himself. Whether you donate money or time, you're helping Big Brothers Big Sisters help a child. Start something today at BigBrothersBigSisters.org. Brought to you by Big Brothers Big Sisters and the Ad Council. Far from the din of commercial culture and just this side of the abstract is a place I call Mesoterra. I'm Vic Valverde, your tour guide for an eclectic musical excursion on a program called Mesoterra. Saturdays, 12 noon until 1.30, right here on KZUM. Next week's guest on Exploring Unexplained Phenomena is Dan Baldwin, Rhonda Hull, and Dwight Hull. 
Their brand new book is Speaking with the Spirits of the Old Southwest, Conversations with Miners, Outlaws, and Pioneers Who Still Roam Ghost Towns. No more. Tell us about some of the the ghost investigations. Um, have you done some of those also in and around Maine? Yeah, absolutely. They've uh, actually all been in, in Maine. Uh, one in particular, uh, this took place in Carmel, Maine, and it was actually a formal, formal funeral hall. Uh, it has since been in, it converted into uh, like a little apartment complex. I think there's four apartments in there. Wow. And um, yeah. What a combination. My team and I, uh, I know. And my team and I at the time went out there, geez, probably 10, 11 times, something like that. And we were alerted of the place by uh, this woman whose son was being bothered by something in the middle of the night. They would poke him and bother him and things like that. And she would tell, the, the little boy would tell her about it. And, and she would not really, you know, she kind of dismissed it. But it, it kept happening and kept happening. So she reached out to us and, and we went out there and we conducted many investigations. Uh, we had very uh, interesting uh, K2 sessions where this thing, whatever we were talking to or whatever was there, we were having like this back and forth conversation with the K2 meter that can be limiting, but to have it be so responsive was, was pretty incredible. Uh, we would see um, shadow people, if you will, uh, while, we, while we were there. But this last time that we had gone there, uh, we'd actually brought in these, uh, these people that could, uh, uh, that were going to help cleanse the, uh, the building and they were inside uh, doing a sage cleansing and some, you know, some other things. And, you know, we're not experts in that. So we, you know, have somebody else do it. And uh, during part of this session towards the end of the night, I was standing outside and the outside area that I was in was also part of this open field. And then next to it was the apartment building. And there was this garage entrance on the backside of the building, which is actually where the hearses used to go in <laughs> uh, to drop off bodies, to start the embalming process, all that stuff. Uh, and they were cleansing and I was outside seeing if I could see anything happen or exit perhaps the building. So I'm out there for a little while, and at one point, I saw these, I don't know how to describe it, but these legs, white legs, I don't know if it was white pants or what I was seeing, but I just saw these two legs, like, step out from this garage door. There was there was no torso or anything attached to it, no feet attached to it, but you could tell that the the body of this thing turned towards me, like the, 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 the legs and thighs that kind of turned towards me a little bit, and then it blinked out. And then uh, a few moments later, in the field in front of me was this dark figure. And the dark figure was kind of in the middle of the field. It hadn't been there before. It's probably 50 yards away from me. And it, it kind of looked like a small pine tree. It was like this black triangle you know, not very tall, five, six feet tall. And it was kind of swaying a little bit. I'm like, is there a tree in the field? And I just didn't realize this. So I'm like, that's weird. So I start walking towards it. I have a night vision camera. As I'm walking towards it, I start getting this ominous feeling. In fact, I, I get a very specific feeling like, hey, this, whatever that is, is really mad at me. 
that that's you know I never really experienced that before. So I hold up my night vision camera to film it. It's right in front of me. It's less than 50 yards away from me now. And I'm looking at the screen, don't see it. I pull the camera down, I can see it with my eyes. I put the screen back up, the camera back up, I don't see it. Put the camera back down, it's right there in front of me. I'm like, this is trippy. So I continue to walk towards it. I'm about 20 yards away, and it just blinks out. I'm like, wow. And, you know, that whole time I had this ominous feeling, it blinks out. That ominous feeling kind of fades away. I go to the spot where I thought it was. There was clearly no trees, no footprints or anything was there. I didn't know what to make of it. Of course, I'm communicating with the team the whole time. Like, hey, I'm seeing this thing and da-da-da, you know. But that, that was probably one of the oddest things I, I encountered on an investigation. And tell us about uh, uh, Bigfoot. Uh, is Bigfoot also used, that, that term used in, in the main area? Is it Sasquatch? Um, I, I would say both uh, are used. It's interchangeable here. Uh, we have the International Cryptozoology Museum in Portland, Maine here, which is run, of sure. course, by Lauren Coleman. Uh, I, I would call, I, I would love to call him a friend, but I think in reality he's an acquaintance. <laughs> uh, but I love the guy, and I've uh, been to the museum a few times, and uh, uh, and he was at one point actually working on a book of uh, about Bigfoot in Maine, and he was working with another author. Her name is uh, Michelle Soyer, and uh, she has a book out right now called uh, uh, Strange Maine. It's a, a great book, and you guys should check it out. Uh, but he kind of passed the reins over to her, where she has taken over all of the research. And so she's working on that book, and she's got hundreds of stories. So anytime somebody contacts me with, uh, you know, Sasquatch stories, I actually just pass them right on to her because I know she's in the throes of working on that book, and I want her to have as many, you know, untold stories as possible. Mm -hmm. So we, we pass stories to each other all the time. She sends me UFO stuff, and I send her, you know, Sasquatch stuff. But, but yeah, it's, it's a thing that gets reported here quite often. And to remind our, our listeners also, Maine historically our accounts go way back there were yeah. um of course the uh, american indian tribes that were indigenous to the area they were there for many years and then the uh white europeans uh, probably in the would we guess the 1600s unless the vikings beat us yeah yeah i would say so there has been a lot of people uh, in that area. Uh, it, for me, it's always, you know, when I have a chance to go to the historical society and do some historical checking, it's always interesting to, to see what people have reported. Uh, sometimes I, I am more successful than others at sleuthing things out, but uh, in Nomar's book, he's got uh, a number of historical sightings uh, in addition to some present-day stuff that have occurred in and around Maine. Uh, I wanted to ask yeah, you one more question about about Bigfoot, no more if I might. Uh, sure. I went to a um, convention last February in the small town of Hastings, Nebraska, that drew three to 400 people on Bigfoot, and a number of the, the well-known authors or celebrities on the uh, TV or book tour circuit to Hastings, and I'm very interested in these reports, so I asked a number of the, the Bigfoot researchers if they felt there was any connection 
with the UFO phenomena and Bigfoot. And almost to a person, they acknowledged some reports, but they were not interested in that connection. Uh, I commended this as a ufologist first and foremost, and I remember reading so many reports of Bigfoot uh, where the, the tracks went into an area that was suitable for leaving tracks, and the tracks stopped. And I always wondered what happened. How do you feel about that? Is Bigfoot a, a flesh and blood creature? Is Bigfoot a psychical creature? What's, what's your sense, no more? Well, I think it goes back to what we were talking about earlier with paranormal investigating and not being so narrow. You know, if it's not about uh, UFOs, then I don't talk about it. You know, it's nothing like that. I, I, I think, um, I, I, I wish more Bigfoot researchers were more open to, to Bigfoot not being a flesh and blood uh, creature. I, I certainly think it's possible. I think some of the reports are. Uh, flesh and blood creatures for a long time. I was a believer that Bigfoot is an unknown primate uh, in, in, in North America and obviously other places as well around the world. Uh, but the more stories you hear, which actually go back quite a ways of this connection with something otherworldly is, is, is actually fairly common. And the work of Stan Gordon, if you, if you spend any time just reading the case files that he has. And, and these aren't things that he, he, he fancies up with, you know, these, these long overwritten stories. It's really just case files and, of these Bigfoot UFO connections that he wasn't even looking for. They just happened where UFOs are being sighted along with Sasquatch in the same area, the same night, sometimes coming out of a UFO, sometimes going into a UFO, sometimes going into a portal of some sort on the ground or, or, or just in the atmosphere next to you. And to have all these encounters that go back to the 50s and, and farther, I, I think you're doing a disservice if you're not taking some of those into account. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't mean that to say if you're a believer in flesh and blood only then you're a bad person no you believe whatever the heck you want to believe and that's fine and and but i think to be maybe a bit more well-rounded is to have that consideration my personal opinion yeah i think there's a connection somehow but i think there's a connection in the broader sense that all of these things paranormally speaking if that's a word uh are are connected somehow I, i haven't figured that out but I do feel as though there's some connection, yeah. Yep, I would agree. Colleen, do you want to add anything? Mm, like, on the discussion of Bigfoot? Or I just <laughs> saw you with that pensive look on your face, so. Oh, just thinking about, like, <laughs> like everybody's viewpoints is, you know, pretty interesting to me. Because, like, like, for me, um, I was raised with all of this as a reality, oh. you know, so so it's always, like, mm-hmm. Tell our guest about your your upbringing. Well, so I am um, I am from the Pine Ridge Indian Reservation in Oglala, South Dakota, or Pine Ridge, South Dakota as well. Um, I grew up uh, living between Pine Ridge and the Omaha uh, tribe of Nebraska's reservation in Macy. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and I just grew up around a lot of my elders, you know. Uh, and so the uncles. subjects we're talking mm-hmm. about have been natural for you growing up with. Yeah, it was just like like all these like just like uh, traditional stories, but also like, mm. uh, or like I guess the kids because there's this video that's been circulating Facebook that has to do with um, it's like it's like native jokes as we call them, you know, Indian jokes, you know, like and it's like. Um, the, the topic of that video was like, um, don't ask why. And they're like, you know, it is a, um, uh, like, like this, this woman's taking the role of the grandmother. Like, grandma, why don't we, cl- why don't we, uh, leave the windows open at night? Because something might look in at you and twist your face up, you know, you know, <laughs> stuff like that. And that's what I just grew up with. Like, okay, so here's certain things you don't do. You don't whistle at night because that'll attract spirits. They might not be the good kind. You know, you don't. Oh, you don't. I'd have to whistle tonight. <laughs> yeah, you, you don't. You don't. Um, you don't eat in the dark because you know spirits are also going to be eating with you. You know, if food falls to the floor, yeah. then that means that they're hungry. You know, things like that. Just like these huh. small little things that I grew up with. You know, like you know. Yeah. They're like, and they're like, and and if you and if you absolutely have to go out at night, make a lot of noise. You know, sing if you need mm-hmm. to. You know, something where. You're alerting all the all these potential, not just animals, you know, predatory animals or anything, but also these other beings that live and live and thrive in the nighttime that you're out in their space and that yeah. you're, not, you're trying not to cause any trouble. You yeah, know, I think that's a good idea. Yeah. When we were when we were young men going up to the boundary waters and canoeing and portaging, we were always, you know, I'm an Eagle Scout, so I, I knew this stuff, but we were always told that when we portaged in this dense in the dense woods of the boundary waters to make a lot of noise mm-hmm. to to sing to have a radio going to bang on the side of the canoe because you don't want to come around the bend and walk up to a, a black bear you yeah don't, you don't want to do that you want to yeah. let that bear know that you're coming <laughs> it's get the mm-hmm. heck out of here let that bear have a couple of ways to to leave the area so mm-hmm. so so that's so that's just kind of like my viewpoint is like well there's certain things that uh, my tribe did and did not do to to make sure that we weren't being bothered too much, not just by ghosts, but also by these other beings. Because I think, I think everybody else, you know, they're just going about their daily lives, and and if they happen to be driving along, you know, a rural road in the middle of the night, they're what's really happening is that they're intruding on these beings' space, not the other way around, you know. Mm-hmm. And so, coming full circle here, it's also um, no more interesting to have Colleen as part of our crew here because she was brought up again in a culture that said that that all this stuff is real, it is happening, mm. to be aware of it, um, you don't have to dwell on it, but just to be aware of it, and it's mm-hmm. accepted. Um, there was a Lakota medicine man that told me years ago, he said, what is so super about natural? And I just, I love that. It's, it's the whole. Yeah. This is all part of that whole. Uh, no more, we're out of time. So I'd like to have you have the last 60 seconds to have an open mic and say whatever you'd like to to my audience. Well, I appreciate that very much. A couple things to plug, if you don't mind. Again, my book, Otherworldly Encounters, you can get it wherever books are sold. If your bookstore doesn't have it, they can order it. So that's awesome. Uh, I also wrote and produced a documentary uh, with my buddy Bill Brock. It's available now on Amazon Prime. Congratulations. It is for free on Amazon Prime if you have the service. It's called Abducted New England. 
search for it by name and uh, check it out. Hope mm. you like it. And I'm working on a new documentary right now called Otherworldly Amour, and that should be coming out in the spring of 2019. So I'm excited about that. And I have a new book project in the works about a uh, chronicling the, the, the life of a gentleman from New Hampshire that has had some odd encounters. And if anybody wants to follow me or hit me up or share a story, you can go to facebook.com slash Nomar Slavic author and uh, send me a message or say hi or tell me I'm an idiot. I might not respond if you tell me I'm an idiot, but, <laughs> uh, but, but, I, but I think that's everything, though. Thank you. Uh, and one last question. I understand you're interested in music, too. Uh, yes, yes. Uh, if you do a search for my name in iTunes or wherever you uh, procure your uh, your music, just do a search, uh, and uh, you can hear some of my music as well. What's what's your instrument or instruments? Is it plural or singular? Uh, well, I'm a uh, I would call it hip hop. I'm a hip hop producer. I uh, play keyboards, a sample, uh, uh, all those types of things. I sing and rap, and uh, my latest album is called. The Sound, and it's a companion piece to my UFOs Over Maine book. Uh, so there's cool. some uh, uh, radio theater, and there's some uh, exopolitical type songs on there talking about UFOs and things like that. It's kind of interesting to check out if you want to. No more. It's been a pleasure to have you here on the broadcast, and I hope that, that you know that the door is always open for return visit in the future. Uh, thank you very much for taking time to be with my audience today, and we all wish you well. Oh, well, thank you very much. Pleasure to be here. And yeah, let's do it again sometime. Our guest today is Nomar Slevik. That's N-O-M-A-R. Slevik, S-L-E-V-I-K. You'll find Nomar Slevik on Facebook. His book is published by Llewellyn Publications. It's called Otherworldly Encounters, Evidence of UFO Sightings and Abductions. Uh, Colleen, what do you got planned for the rest of today? Um, probably just get some sleep. I didn't get much sleep last night because of what was going on, but, you know. Jim, how about you? Gonna go home and do some radio sport. And make sure your battery's charged. <laughs> make sure my battery's charged, yeah. And my lights are off. Do you think we should just hang out here for a while, or do you think there's somebody else that would like to play some music here? <laughs> you know, I want to hear some music, so let's get Vic on the air Oh, here. that's just, the guy's name. Yeah. He's right behind you with the guy with the hammer. No, I, yeah, yeah. Vic does a great program called Mesoterra, he and he's coming right up here. So. Ready for some rock and roll. Uh, folks, thank you so much for your support that you've given us uh, over the last 34 years. Again, if you've got a year-end donation or a gift in mind for KZUM Radio, know that it goes long and far, and it's much appreciated. You can call us at 402-474-5086, extension 1. You can also do that at kzum.org. I'm Scott Colborn, along with Colleen and Jim, our special guest this morning, Nomar Slevik. And of course, you guys and gals out there, we've been exploring unexplained phenomena. Until next week, walk in beauty.